It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. Who wants to talk sports? Who wants to talk World Cup soccer? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my partner in crime, John Riley. We are based in San Diego. We welcome you to our World Cup recap, a look back at three fabulous weeks. The World Cup of Soccer is now complete, and we have a champion, South American Argentina. John, good afternoon. Only words I can use to describe what we just saw in the World Cup. Epic and classic. How cool was a championship game? It was unbelievable game. I mean, it really got a lot of soccer fans all around the world, met everyone, maybe even exceeded people's expectations. And it seems that a lot of Americans were legitimately thrilled about the sport and about the final game. We're waiting for the TV ratings. It'll be fascinating to see what transpires in France. Their network, F1, just released all-time record ratings in that country, 24 million in France watched Argentina versus France. We don't have the South American numbers. I think those will be monstrous. And we wait to see what Fox tells us possibly as early as Tuesday or Wednesday from the U.S. numbers. I will tell you, though, that the U.S. game against Netherlands in the knockout round drew 11.7 million viewers here in the States. Uh, uh, Those are pretty good numbers. So Mm -hmm. we'll wait and see what happens. U.S. numbers for Argentina versus France. Yeah, it's terrific. I mean, I think soccer is becoming a more relevant sport in America. The MLS keeps getting better, and we're seeing more Americans play at the highest level in Europe. Okay, you got questions. Corner kicked me the first question of the day, and we're going to buzz through this because we got a lot of different things to cover. We do, and I think the first topic is this big Argentina win and the way it went down. I mean, it was so exciting. At first, it looked like Argentina was cruising. Then Mbappe, you know, brings up brings it on and then it goes to OT and finally penalty kicks. I mean, it was a storybook finish. Uh, Three different layers of stories as it relates to the Argentina win over France. Changing of the guard. Lionel Messi gets the World Cup trophy for the first time in an illustrious career. He's finishing his career at age 36, probably in France. Don't think we'll ever see him play in a World Cup again. I think he hands the trophy and the baton to the next young superstar. And I think when you look at the way Kylian Mbappe plays for France, this is the next great star who I tend to think has arrived. And, you know, lost in in how good that game was and how intense that game was, was the reality. Those guys scored four goals each. Four goals each in a World Cup championship game. You could not have written a better script. So that's that's layer one of the storyline, obviously. Messi versus Mbappe. Layer two was the goalkeeping. Martinez, the Argentinian goaltender, made some spectacular saves during the course of that tournament. Just amazing stuff, especially at the most important time of his life in the penalty kick phase in the shootout in the overtime. And Hugo Lois, the French goaltender, was equally spectacular. He made a couple of saves, hand save diving, kick save while on the ground that kept the ball out of the net. And I, I just thought 
the the play of the keepers gets lost because of the superstars there on the pitch in front of them. I thought those two goaltenders were amazing. And then the third layer, just the electricity and the emotion of that game. And as that game went on, and you talked about Argentina out to the quick 2-0 lead, and I thought, this sucker is over. And then bingo, just like that, what happened? Two goals in two minutes from the French star, and it's a brand new game. And then obviously, goal three for each side, and then we go to the shootout. And you could cut through the tension with a pair of scissors, and you could almost sense as the game marched on, when they got to the 90th minute, and they got to the added time, and then they got to the overtime, and then they had to go to the penalty kicks, the screws were tightening. You could feel the pressure. And the stands, the fans in the stands, went absolutely crazy. And then to finish it off, when Argentina won, and they went to the live camera shot in downtown Buenos Aires of more than 100,000 fans wearing blue and white in the square, in the streets, watching on live stream on, on, the, on the big screens. Holy cow. I mean, what you talk about an event scripted that way it was like hollywood it was so cool so those are the layers i thought of the storyline yours it, it it's spectacular how this is a world event that brings people all over the globe together and even though we're not from argentina or from france we are still emotionally connected to this game and we just love the sport of it you're, you're right the, the keepers were outstanding i mean the athleticism the way they react is incredible. And I love the gamesmanship that they play psyching each other out during the penalty kick shootout. You know, is he going left? Is he going right? Is he going to come down the middle? Um, it, it was just a terrific game. And the way it went into extra time in, in that second period, it looked again like Argentina was going to win this thing. And then the handball and they get the additional penalty kick in extra time. I mean, it, like, like you said, it was a Hollywood ending. And as a sports fan, I, I just loved every minute of it. Now, there's always fallout when this happens. So what happened today in France is no different than what has happened in Germany, in Brazil, in Mexico, in Spain, in Portugal. The coach stepped down. It's absolutely amazing to me. Soccer is, A, it's a different game. The emotion of soccer is really comes at you from a different angle. But how they respond and how they treat the people that work so hard to get their team into the World Cup or into the knockout round or even to the championship game, you don't win, your coach is gone. That The French coach stepped aside today. Uh, that's just absolutely amazing to me. It's a different culture, obviously a different sport. Yeah, I mean, it is a different culture. And I think, you know, in, in America, coaches want to hang on to the power, hang on to the money as long as they can. But there is a certain honor to the sport, in, in, especially amongst the European coaches. I mean, that's pretty amazing to step down after coming in as the runner-up. Interesting. I have a friend in Buenos Aires who works for the wire service. I have a, a media friend that works in Paris. And I emailed them overnight and asked response to what you saw. Well, the guy in Brazil said, I, and I asked him, I said, did you watch the World Cup? He said, yeah, till it was 2 nothing, and we don't like Argentina. So we turned it off and went out. And I asked a friend in France your reaction to what happened. And he said, the president being on the sidelines, the president being in the box, mm -hmm. the president meeting with Mbappe after the game to put console him, the president meeting with Messi after the game. 
fabulous. But when the French lost, the pubs emptied out. Nobody, nobody stayed to talk about it. They just kind of went home disappointed. And Monday would become Monday in Paris and all the other cities in France. And they go back to work. Very different how people handle when their country either doesn't win or did not play. Well, I know just as an American sports fan, like when the Chargers made the Super Bowl back in the 90s. I mean, that was back when you were broadcasting. The next day or two, I kind of had a mental hangover. Oh, yeah. You know, that it was just so difficult to kind of deal with the grief of the loss at the at the highest level. But in France, they just turn the page and move yeah. on. Next question. Let's talk about it here in our World Cup recap. Okay. Well, I mean, we got to talk about the, the, the number one star here, Lionel Messi, and what he accomplished here at the World Cup was just fabulous. What he's accomplished with his career is fabulous. But this caps it off. This is the star on top of the star. Seven goals in this World Cup for that guy. Now, that's pretty impressive. Marked man was going to be marked right off the field, checked off the field, bodied off the field, fouled off the field. He scored seven goals. Uh, Now, he's not the athlete that some of the other stars are. But there's a craft to how he gets open, how he finds open spaces, how they get the ball to him. For shots, for headers, just absolutely amazing. 98 career goals in international play. And that's a spectacular uh, total. Now, here's the next storyline for Lionel Messi. The story hasn't gotten out yet. I was told that David Beckham, the legendary European star, who owns Inter Miami, the MLS franchise, talked to him after the game. Would you come to the United States? Would you play on an international contract for Inter-Miami? Wouldn't that be something for him to cap off his career to come here to play for Beckham's Miami team and promote MLS soccer? I I, I won't say it's going to happen. Anything is possible. We've seen a, a number of Euros come here and play, some degree of success, some not success. But wouldn't that be something if he wound up finishing up his career? Oh, it'd be fantastic. I mean, because especially now when he is at the very peak of his personal achievement. But you look historically at American soccer, we seem to get a lot of the stars, you know, at the tail end of their career. Pele played in, I think, was it the NASL? Back New York in, Cosmos. Yeah, the Cosmos. And then uh, Beckham played here for the Galaxy, but it was always at the tail end of their career. Um you know, it's better than nothing. You know, we'd love to have these superstars when they're young. Um, but to your other point about Messi, it, it, it's interesting to learn more about the soccer and how it's played. Because the, you, to your point, the whole team was built around making Messi the, the focal point. The go-to guy. The go-to guy. It's almost like um, the uh, Tour de France where there is a primary star and the team supports that star to really cash in. Uh, what a what a great event. Yeah, I, and I, not only is he a great player, all the stuff that I've been able to read and what the broadcasters have said, uh, and we'll touch on broadcasters at the end of this uh, podcast, but all the things they've said about what a great person he is. I, just, I mean, he's he is a superstar and a very successful soccer player. So I've I've been very impressed with the accomplishment of what I think is a legendary career, and kind of privately excited that gee boy, could he come here and play in the MLS? That would be that would be fun. Next question. Okay, we got to go from superstar one to superstar one A. Let's talk about Mbappe. This guy has just grown so fast as a star. Uh, we knew he was a great, great athlete. When you saw what he did, 
uh, in in the early stages of the second half, when his team had been outplayed in the first half and they looked like they were a step slow, they looked like they were intimidated, they could not defend and mark on Messi. What he did with a snap of the fingers to score in the 79th and 81st minute just changed everything. And if you look at the close-ups and you go back and just YouTube Mbappe and look at the mechanics of what he does with the ball, this guy is magic. This guy is athletic. This guy is so explosive. There was on the second goal, I think he went through four different guys that tried to mark him either body him or take the ball away from him. And he did all this, and bingo, ball's in the net. I mean, this is a tremendous player. And then, and then obviously, you see what he did in, the, in the, the penalty kick phase at the end of the game when, unfortunately, France only scored two as, as Argentina knocked four in. But you saw his shot. Holy cow, it was a laser. It was a rocket. The goalkeeper had absolutely no hope whatsoever of making that save. We've seen great players in the past, and I, as a young broadcaster, I was at the Meadowlands in New Jersey on the sidelines, and I saw a young Pele play for the New York Cosmos, and I was awed at his ability and the magic and what he did with the ball, either getting shots or making passes. Just phenomenal. This guy, this guy is, as, I think, as great of any young modern athlete as we have seen in pro soccer. I just, he's got his whole future ahead of him right now. Isn't it interesting how you can always sort of spot that it factor? And even at the highest levels, when these are the best players in the world, there is still someone that's that much better. And even as a for myself, you know, I enjoy the game of soccer. I am by no means an expert as a, as a fan, but I can recognize the talent right away in terms of how he plays, the power that he puts behind those shots. It's just an incredible talent and looks to be a spectacular young man. And, and what a great future he has. Now, now, before we go to the next question, let's remind people about what we do on our podcast. One, fans forum at the end. And if there are soccer fans out there, we'd like you to contribute. And then item two, how do you subscribe so that you will get the alerts when we put new things up on our podcast, on our YouTube channel, because we are creating a lot of content on a week-by-week basis. John, Fans Forum and subscriptions. Yeah, so item one, Fans Forum. You can get involved in this podcast. If you got a question, a hot take, you got something you want to share with Hacksaw, just type it in on the live stream on either Facebook or YouTube. We'll see it here on the screen. We'll get you up on board and get you involved in the conversation. Um, as far as subscribing, yeah, subscribe on YouTube. There's a little subscribe button there. Click on the bell. The subscribe count for Hacksaw's YouTube channel has just been skyrocketing. We'd love to get your support. We're trying to build that subscriber base. Um, and at the same time, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and, and be sure to follow Hacksaw on Twitter. And also, when you get a chance, please check my website because it is written. It's all sports. It's LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I post stuff every night. It's there the next morning. If you like sports across the board, we cover it all. 
LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Okay, let's go to the next question. Okay, we're going to talk about Team USA now. I mean, there's still a lot of drama going on with Christian Pulisic. Well, as we sit here on a Monday night, uh, there's there's two angles to the story. One, Christian Pulisic is going to be moved at the, in the transfer portal. He is going to move when the, their, their view of vision of free agency begins the 1st of January. And the rumor we get is that Chelsea is going to work a mega financial deal to move Pulisic to Newcastle United. Newcastle United is funded by Saudi Arabians. Uh, Pulisic wants to be a starter. He has had problems with Tom Tuchel, the head coach at Chelsea, coming off the bench. We saw Pulisic grow into a man at this World Cup, grow into a phenomenal leader. And we saw Team USA grow as a unit. Now, that's item one, Pulisic. Item two is the coach. His contract has yet to be renewed. His contract is expiring this week, right after Christmas. I do not understand the delay in a guy that was 37, 11, and 12 since he took over the U.S. program, went through the metamorphosis of changing the roster, building with kids, playing all their kids through all the friendlies, finding out who was ready, who was near ready, who could not make it. I don't understand this hassle with Gio Reyna. Since when does a 19-year-old have the right to tell a coach, I need to be on this field all the time, and the fact that he practiced lousy and they and Burhalter was going to send him home, and at Burhalter took him into the locker room and made him apologize to all the veterans on the team and the veterans hammered him for the way he acted Good. in the practice session. Good. But why Burhalter's not been signed to an extension, he he does what coaches do. John, you're my athlete. I'm the veteran coach with all the experience. I'm going to push your hot buttons. I'm going to coach you hard. And I I might be pretty abusive along the way to make you a better player. Don't you understand that as an athlete? And the athlete-coach relationship, it'll grow. If Reyna becomes a star, if Reyna becomes Pulisic, there won't be any problems. He will have been made better by the, quote, hard coaching that Burhalter would give him. So I'm a little bit surprised there. So your reaction to Pulisic, your reaction to the coach? Well, the Pulisic angle is interesting because hopefully he lands on a team where he's going to get a lot more playing time. Because as Americans, we want to see him perform at the highest level. But you did bring up a point that the team that, what was the team again he's going to go to? It was uh, Newcastle United. Newcastle United. And you had mentioned owned by uh, Saudis. But it's interesting how a lot of the English Premier League teams are owned by American billionaires, are owned by other Saudis. Just so much money in the sport in England. Um, like Man- Manchester City is all Saudi money behind that. That team as well. So it, it just makes it more interesting from my perspective as, as an international sport where you've got people from all over the world, either as athletes or as business people getting involved um, to the case with Burhalter. It's interesting. You're right that they haven't re, re-upped the guy right away. I mean, we have coaches that are getting fired right away. Coaches that have chosen to resign right away. America found a good coach, a coach that got him into the knockout round. Let's just sign the guy up and and keep the momentum going. I agree with you there. Let's move on. Next question. We're talking soccer or World Cup recap here. Well, I think we got to talk about another one of the superstars is Ronaldo. Boy, you talk about making decisions that lead you to the bad end of your career. Don't understand this guy's psyche. He's 38, uh, involved in a, just a terrible squabble uh, all year long with Manchester United, and they walked away from the contract. And normally you don't see that. I don't like you. You'll play till the end of the contract, and when the transfer window opens, we will move you. They got rid of him. 
They let him walk. And he gave up all the rest of his salary to get out of Manchester United. Now, now he goes to play and he plays in the World Cup. And there's all types of temper tantrums with him and the coaching staff and his teammates. He's not practicing hard. He's upset that he's not on, in the starters group. He's upset that when he was in the starters group, they took him off when they swapped out players in the back, back end of the games, stormed off the field. He wept uh, in the final game that they played. He didn't play really well. And the tantrums have now become the bigger story than the greatness of this player for 14 to 15 years. And he's not, I don't think he's the same talent anymore. And now he's got so much baggage with him. Anybody wants to bring him on is going to deal with the fact that I have to run my thing the way he wants it run so he can be the, be the guy. He's not the guy at age 38 anymore. Just a weird way to handle yourself in what should have been the twilight of your career. Well, I mean, look at the American young star Gio Reyna. I mean, who's who's his role model, right? Is it maybe Ronaldo here? Um, it was surprising that Portugal didn't didn't start him. You know, you saw him sub in in the second half, but you know, he 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 is a bit over the hill, but he still has so much talent. He still has that it factor. It's a shame that he still can't be on the pitch during the World Cup. Let's talk about what's happened abroad in the United Kingdom. Uh, they they didn't have a great run. Yeah, they got to the knockout round, then they, they got themselves knocked out. Uh, I, I thought one of the really fascinating things was what happened uh, right before they played their brother next door. Wales is a tiny little community on the southwest portion of Great Britain. Wales played England. Matchup, great star, Harry Kane, uh, I think one of the vastly underrated players in the English Premier League, and Gareth Bale, great international player in his 30s who's probably played his final World Cup game. Of course, Wales had not been to the World Cup since 1958, and Gareth Bale carried them into the World Cup. But he was checked and he was marked, and he, he did virtually nothing offensively in the game. But I thought the coolest thing of the fact is England— and its tiny partner next door, Wales, playing each other. The coolest thing was when they played the national anthems and they had the flags of both those countries on the field. Man, that's a snapshot for your scrapbook. And I've been to England and I visited Wales and they are really neat countries, especially as small a community as the Welsh are. So it was, it was great to see Harry Kane because I've followed him from a, a long distance because I like English Premier League soccer. And I I followed Bale in what he's done internationally. And he's a different type player. He's not the sniper that Mbappe is. But what a nice career. And Kane is obviously a really good soccer player. little disappointment that England didn't go farther. You know, they kind of helped invent the game. Just kind of surprised that England is not the, quote, global power that some of these other great countries are, like Argentina, like the Brazilians. But it was it was electric to see the flags and see the anthems and just and see the tears in the players' eyes mm-hmm. as, as they sang the anthems. What a cool part of that environment! Yeah, isn't it interesting too that the World Cup is all about nations uh, against nations, right? But Wales isn't a nation, and neither is England. I mean, they're part of the United Kingdom. But yet they are able to compete independently, just retaining that tradition. And I think that's special because Wales or Scotland, you never really see them, you know, at, at 
competing at, at this kind of a level. So it's nice that they're able to retain their their culture and their history. And by the way, the the flags right there, look at that whale's flag with the uh with the dragon on it. I mean that's fabulous. And of course the the English logo is the three lions. So tremendous history, tremendous relationship between the two countries. Now there's the business side of the World Cup of Soccer. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean th- it's incredible how much money is in this sport. We hear all the stories about corruption, um, how much money was spent in Qatar, you know, put this event on. And I know they're getting ready for the next World Cup. It's coming to North America. Yeah, the next World Cup 2026 will be kind of co-sponsored between the United States, Mexico and Canada. That's in 2026. And that'll be fun. And the fun aspect of what Team USA did, youngest team Those guys will be four years older. They'll be at the peak of their athletic career, probably age 28 to age 32, when the World Cup comes back here, which is one of the reasons I'm a Burkhalter fan. In terms of the money, uh, they sold, I want to say, 2.1 million tickets for all the World Cup games at astronomical prices. I mean, they put on a pretty good show. The winning team, the Argentine side, Today, $42 million in prize money for winning the World Cup. The losing team got $33 million. So you break that down into players, coaches, trainers, how much they each get a slice of that, that $42 million pie in Argentina. You know, and Team USA, by getting to the knockout round, first round got dumped out. They still got $13 million. And it comes to $294,000 share per player for Team USA as a bonus, which is nice. The unwritten thing about what happened with Team USA, by virtue of the just agreed to court case, equal pay, U.S. men, U.S. women, the women get 50% of what the men got. Soccer Federation will pay the women $6.5 million bonus money because the men got $13 million. That's cool. Now, next year, when we go to the Women's World Cup and Team USA tries to win its third straight Women's World Cup, if they get that prize, half of what they get will go to the men's side. So there's an equal pay payout shared revenue for both. But the money, money is staggering. $42 million for the Argentinian side to carve up. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tremendous amount of money going in. But really, the money that the organizers are getting the you know that's like a whole other level you know to fund these stadiums to you know build the infrastructure around these cities and it is something of a boondoggle that goes on with some of those folks but as far as the players go yeah good on them they deserve every nickel of this you know arguably maybe even more okay final question is a little bit off off the track you want to talk about broadcasting. Yeah. You, you know, Lee, we were swapping some text messages a few nights ago, and you were telling me about your history um, broadcasting hockey and some of your colleagues and the different career paths they had. And I said, oh, this, you got to share this on the podcast. OK, real quickly. And when I first broke in, I did minor league hockey for the first four years of my radio career in upstate New York, a place called the Eastern Hockey League. Uh, there were a whole bunch of young broadcasters, and we were all kind of bonded together. We're all about 23 or 24. And the reason it's so unique and is is linked to the World Cup of Soccer, the voice of World Cup Soccer for ESPN is John Paul Della Camera. JP was a young broadcaster like I was. John Paul was in Erie, Pennsylvania. He was a radio voice of the Erie Blades of the Eastern Hockey League. 
he was not the only guy in the league that went on and had a great career. Well, I'm a spectacular career. I so enjoy listening to John Paul De La Camera do World Cup soccer. He's so electric and so knowledgeable, so descriptive, so colorful. But he was he was there in Syracuse. The voice of the Syracuse Blazers of of the Eastern Hockey League was Bob Costas. Wow. Costas went on. He was a Syracuse grad. He, he got a minor league hockey job. That's where he started. Then he went on to the ABA, and then he went on to fame with NBC, doing baseball and Hall of Fame life and career. Bob Costas in Syracuse. Third guy was a, a kid that was down on Long Island. He was the voice of the Long Island Ducks of the Eastern Hockey name is Eli Gold. Eli Gold is one of the voices of NASCAR and the voice of Alabama Crimson Tide football. Wow. So and and we stay I stay in contact. I've not had as much contact with John Paul as I've had with Bob and as I've had with with Eli. So it's fascinating. We had four young guys, all all were part of the movie Slapshot. We all lived in that hockey league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were all about 24, 23, drank beer, rode the buses, and then we all wound up doing some really special things. I was privileged to be able to voice of the of the San Diego Chargers and the Seattle Seahawks for 17 years and and to do a Super Bowl and to do a Rose Bowl and, and to do all these other things. And the same thing for JP and Bob and Eli. It's just it's kind of fascinating. We laugh about it now and we <clears throat> we email back and forth with each other. Do you remember? But obviously the thing that has linked us all together was a movie slap shot about minor league hockey. Yeah, I, when you share that story, it was great because as a sports fan, you know, we follow the players, we follow the coaches, but we also follow the broadcasters. And we think about way back when the things they were doing. And like one of the broadcasters that I always liked from my childhood is Al Michaels. Oh, sure. And I mean, he's just a fabulous guy. But in the mid 70s, when I first started following baseball, he was the play by play guy for the Giants. You know, it's him and Lon Simmons. And um, so just to see the the career path of broadcasters is special. So when you shared with me that you were back with all of your other colleagues and each one of you went to stardom in varying degrees and varying sports, I mean, that's just pretty special. I crossed paths with Al Michaels. I was a young broadcaster. I had relocated to Phoenix. I was doing a Phoenix Giants baseball in the Pacific Coast League. And we played in Honolulu. We played the Hawaii Islanders which was a Padre Farm Club at that time. And Al Michaels was there doing broadcasting. That was before he went to Cincinnati. Then he went to San Francisco. Then he went to Superstardom and one of the really nice guys. Mm -hmm. Hey, listen, hope you've enjoyed our special bonus coverage of the World Cup of Soccer. Uh, We remind you that uh, please check our YouTube channel. Subscribe so you'll get the alerts with everything that we do week by week. And please check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. We'll be back on Thursday with our regularly scheduled podcast for John Riley. Hacksaw here. Have yourself a great day. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.